Now, the public barely knew of it at the time, but there had already been a federal investigation of Graham Spanier's role in this because his national security clearance was up for renewal. This investigation was done by an NCIS agent named John Snedden, and we're going to talk with John now. John Snedden, welcome to the podcast. A pleasure to be there. Thank you. So, John, take us back to the the November 2011 era and the aftermath. Uh, and you are not involved in the case at the time, but you're watching what's happening. You're seeing all this carnage, all the media coverage. Uh, what is your perception of uh, what you think is actually happening here? Well, it was like a uh, nuclear ex- explosion had gone off on that campus. And, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't... Uh, Tended, tended not to believe what was going on. Um, certainly, I uh, had a, a questions about exactly what was going on and and how they came to the conclusions that they did. Um, yeah, you, you know, if you look at it with an open mind, you certainly have a lot of questions about uh, the process that was going on there and how quickly it evolved. And so, you know, to be clear, you are a Penn State graduate yourself. Uh, you're, you're an NCIS investigator. And, and you get hired to, to determine whether or not Graham Spanier should have his national security clearance uh, um, uh, renewed. Tell us about how you got involved in this process and, and what your investigation entailed. Well, it, it, uh, in early 2012... Um, by virtue of the fact that uh, that information had been um, out to the out to the public about that case, they immediately wanted to evaluate, um, you know, Graham Spanier's position in it, Doctor Spanier's position in it, as to whether or not uh, it would have an adverse impact on his uh, ability to, you know, safeguard classified information. Um, I received a call from our uh, headquarters to you know, initiate an investigation to determine if he was susceptible to any possible coercion, pressure, duress, or blackmail as a result of the allegations. And so you're trying to determine, okay, he's been involved in this scandal. He's got national security uh, uh, secrets at apparently a fairly high level. Is that accurate with regard to... Absolutely. He was on several advisory boards for a variety of intelligence agencies. I think that... uh, a lot of people are still are still unaware of the fact that uh, you know his uh, position and his um, the respect people and the various in, in intelligence community uh, entities had uh, for him and his input, uh, particularly with the uh, uh, Central Intelligence Agency, the National Security Agency, the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, um, the Federal Bureau Investigation. Um, I mean, he was on uh, numerous boards, that, uh, and he was a highly respected individual on those boards. Right. So this was an important investigation to determine whether or not uh, this scandal had compromised Graham Spanier's ability to keep that national security clearance. And so you go uh, in, into the, the depths of this. This is before the free report comes out, and you actually interview most of the key players. Tell us who you interviewed and and what your general conclusion was after you you interviewed these people. Well, I, I spoke with uh, a preponderance of the 
board of trustees members, um, individuals that were involved with uh, Jerry Sandusky's retirement. Um, the legal aspects of it, I interviewed uh, uh, State Supreme Court Justice uh, Cynthia Baldwin, who was the uh, Office of General Counsel counsel at that time, um, the Penn State president. I interviewed him. Um, I tried to cover the uh, entire landscape of what was uh, occurring, particularly people that would have uh, intimate knowledge as to uh, uh, Dr. Spanier's involvement in any of the uh, of any of that issue and how he handled it. And obviously, that included Spanier himself and Gary uh, Gary Schultz and Tim and Tim Curley. Yes, sir, I did. And and so you do all these interviews, and to be clear. Just those the names you just listed there. These were extensive interviews that you did. Uh, how would you compare the the number of critical interviews you did to those interviews that Louis Free's group did for the re- the Free Report? How would you compare those two groups? Well, I, I think uh, I interviewed as you know as necessary individuals that actually had firsthand knowledge of what occurred. Um, as opposed to peripheral individuals. Um, I know in, in speaking with uh, individuals during the course of my investigation, subsequent to that investigation, that a lot of the individuals would free, uh, freeze group on their private uh, investigation, um, interviewed people that were particularly uh, very peripheral, if uh, Right, so you know, so you would agree. So, kind of, kind of. You're, you're kind being t- in the use of peripheral. You're being very kind. Would you agree that that your investigation dealt with far more of the people who were directly involved in this case than Louis Free's investigation did? Oh, absolutely, and it was uh, way ahead of. Uh, I mean, there are uh, records and documents and individuals that I spoke with um, that that had never been contacted by uh, the Free free private group and of course um, and, I, and, and of course free barely spoke to spanier he did not speak to curly or schultz he did not speak to most of the people that you you just referenced and so you do this how long does did this investigation take you john six months but then it also takes a period of time you have to realize that you know during the course of my, i complete my investigation and then that investigation is reviewed by independent um, uh, um, adjudicators, and if those adjudicators that have no knowledge of anybody involved in this investigation, they go through that investigation, they uh, by uh, piece by piece, every every word by word, believe me. And if they have any questions, then they get back to me. Um, if if they have any any difficulty making a determination. After going through that report, so they did not have any questions about that. All right, so so after all this investigation, all these interviews, what was your recommendation on whether or not Graham Spanier should have his national security clearance uh, renewed? Well, the thing is, is that I don't make a recommendation; only uh, the results of my investigation. Okay, um, and 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 the uh, the results of the investigation were clear that there was no indication of any. Uh, you know, any problem with Dr. Spanier in that regard. And, you know, they, they okay, so, subsequently, the adjudicator subsequently renewed his, 
is clearance. Okay, so you you issue your report, and uh, and Graham Spanier's security clearance gets renewed because there was no evidence of any sort of information that could have compromised him. In other words, no evidence that he was part of a cover-up in the Sandusky scandal, correct? Absolutely. And and in the process of that, John, uh, and, and, and to be clear, you already referenced, there was no question. It wasn't even a controversial situation. This was, this was here's the facts. Uh, your superior said, okay, uh, he's renewed, right? That, that's, a, that's a fair assessment of what happened? Absolutely, and they uh, again they go through with a fine tooth comb, uh, being individuals that are not familiar with the uh, have any connection with those individuals, and they go through it with a fine tooth comb and make a determination right. independently for the federal government. Okay, so and when you made your your report, and you personally came to the conclusion that Graham Spanier was not compromised because he was not part of a cover up at Penn State. Did you did you come to any uh, personal belief about whether or not anyone at Penn State was involved in a cover up for Jerry Sandusky? Well, I you know I, I can characterize the entire uh, aspect having inter- having investigated the entire event as nothing more than a, a Penn State goats girl. I mean, uh, you know, it was manipulated politically to uh, acquire appropriate, you know, requested uh, results from a, uh, you know, a, a governor that wanted it done. And, uh, you know, he was, he was successful in manipulating the entire process. Um, these people had no idea. The other investigative entities, you know, Freeze Private Group and uh, the Pennsylvania Office of Attorney General, had no idea that there was a federal, independent, undisclosed federal investigation going on at the same time. And if you look at that, they clearly felt that they were able to manipulate the entire process to satisfy their political goals um, without anybody else looking at it. Um, and then... And then you end up with that kind of result. So, so, so to be clear, John. So, to, to be clear, John, you make a really important point that Louis Free had no knowledge of your investigation, which is really amazing. I mean, you, you, your investigation should have been a very important uh, part of the Free Report. But in the in the larger picture, uh, you believe that part of the motivation here on the state of the Pennsylvania's part was to get at Graham Spanier because of this battle that he had had with Governor yeah. Tom Corbett. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, government, Governor Corbett, former Governor Corbett, um, is clearly a very vindictive individual. He's, a, he's the big, if there's a main bad guy in this whole uh, fiasco, it's Governor Corbett. This is stunning. These allegations and everything you're saying, and John, now I'm gonna, you're basing it on something here because you did an investigation. It is so stunning that... That type of thing. Why wasn't that a huge public deal? Why didn't? Why wasn't there a press conference? Why wasn't there something said? It is a mis. If you're saying what you're saying is correct, it's a complete miscarriage of justice. Why wasn't that a huge public deal? Absolutely. Well, this is the thing. They they obviously utilized what they had available in the media to get the story out front. Their own story out front. I mean, the only, the the uh, grand jury uh, presentment, which we definitely realizes is false, was presented as fact through their media outlets um, prior to any uh, 
inquiries going on. John, did you investigate the grand jury presentment as well, everything that was in the grand jury presentment? Well, no, but if you look at, at the, the alleged facts in the grand jury presentment uh, versus the actual facts that took place during a independent federal investigation, you can find out that they are not the same. And let, let's be clear, let, John, let's be clear about what you're saying there. You, you believe that your investigation not only found no cover-up, but found no evidence of a crime to cover up, correct? Correct, correct. And on what? Absolutely. And and on what did you base that conclusion? Well, the the uh, just as an example, with the Mike McCrory incident, um, the information that he provided, um, in my view, after speaking with uh, everybody that uh, have, having interviewed everyone that spoke with him, um, that that information that that they allegedly received from Mike McCrory that they placed in the grand jury. Uh, presentment was false. John, where where is this report that you did? Why can't we re- read your report? It's it's uh, it can be found online as well as uh, I think uh, uh, John has it uh, somewhere on his on his well, website. Well, actually, we we and that's actually part of the the issue here, John. You you and I um, had planned on releasing that before Graham Spanier's trial. And right. and unfortunately, <laughs> Graham Spanier's own attorneys uh, vetoed that idea because they didn't want uh, anything to disrupt your potential testimony at Graham Spanier's trial. And so, uh, as it turned out, you were not called at Graham Spanier's trial. And so we released an, an interview that I did as, along with your report uh, on uh, a website that I write for uh, called Mediaite. And and so the report is public, but it didn't get any news media coverage because by the time we had released it, the news media had already decided what they knew was the truth. And they, they didn't want anything to disrupt their narrative. And so uh, because it didn't come from the New York Times, which the New York Times was never going to uh, deal with this, uh, you know, it was it was easily ignored. John, could you talk about why it is that you, you were not called to testify at Graham Spanier's trial when here you, in theory, would be uh, this, uh, I know you were intended to be the star witness, uh, federal investigator that looked into all this and came to a completely different conclusion. Why did that not happen? Well, I, you know, I believe that uh, uh, Dr. Spanier's legal team believed that uh, the prosecution had not uh, proved their case. And, uh, you know, to go full circle, that they have not proved our case. I mean, the, the, uh, the, the federal uh, court system has, uh, you know, removed the alleged uh, misdemeanor crime from, uh, from Graham Spanier's uh, trial. So, you know, I, I think that it's back in the sense that, that the prosecution had not, um, had not, uh, proven beyond a reasonable doubt what they had alleged. But the more important thing is, is that that, that crime, the alleged crime, didn't even pertain to uh, Dr. Spaniel. Which, which alleged again, crime? Well, the, the, and again, you've got, the, mm-hmm. the, one of the big problems with this thing is, if people, people really pay attention to it, that miscarriage of justice, wherein an individual was found guilty of a uh, non-pertinent 
uh, misdemeanor crime was upheld by the Pennsylvania judiciary, um, which in their right minds would never do that. I mean, you had to wait till you get to the federal court for them to realize, hey, you can't do that. You cannot charge somebody with a crime that wasn't um, pertinent to them. Okay, well, I think what what you're getting into is a little bit uh, of a detail that's important, but uh, <laughs> probably lost in a lot of people. You're, you're you're referencing just how deeply invested the entire state of Pennsylvania uh, is and was in maintaining this idea that there was a cover-up at Penn State to the point where they would not only charge Graham Spanier with violating a law that did not exist at the time of the alleged violation, but then uh, convict him and then uh, still fight it when the federal court says you can't do this because in in the early 2000s, there was no law in Pennsylvania that would have applied to Graham Spanier in a supervisor role uh, to have him be criminally negligent in this particular situation. What occurred was in 2007, they changed that law, but that's well after the event. And that's part, Absolutely. Right. And that's part of why the, the federal government, uh, the federal court, which is not uh, obviously beholden to the state of Pennsylvania, uh, they, uh, they removed his conviction and it's still being fought about but let's go back to the to the actual reality of this because this goes way deeper than an an inappropriate conviction of graham spanier a guy you've gotten to know very very well so john to be clear you not only believe that graham spanier was wrongfully convicted and he's an innocent man but you also believe that tim curley and gary schultz are totally innocent correct absolutely i mean based on uh interviews lengthy interviews with them and the information that uh, they have done and the actions that they took, absolutely uh, no no evidence of any type of cover-up or conspiracy in that entire matter. All right, so so that then begs the question. So you, you're convinced, based upon your extensive federal investigation, that Grant Spanier was innocent, and Tim Curley was innocent, and Gary Schultz was innocent. Well, what about Jerry Sandusky? Where do you stand on him? Well, I, I think if you look at the entire uh, entire case, that there is no evidence there that hasn't been manipulated by the uh, by the in- individuals that are investigating the case that were beholden to Corbett. And so, I mean, how difficult is it to realize that uh, there is absolutely no evidence? Um, that has been corroborated by anybody that Jerry did anything. So you, I mean, it's uh, it's all been manipulated to appear that way. So you believe that Jerry Sandusky is innocent? I, I don't think there's any reason to believe otherwise. Because based upon your investigation and everything you've seen since then, you've never seen one piece of evidence that indicates that Jerry Sandusky actually was a pedophile who committed any, any of these crimes. Absolutely. I think there's some evidence out there in, indicative of the other way, you know, uh, um, you know, exculpatory. And there's exculpatory evidence out there with, that was not presented um, at the time that uh, that this whole thing went down. We need to be clear about what that means. Can we be clear what, what you mean by that, John? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's, there's evidence there that those, um, the um, allegations made by the uh, alleged victims um, are not uh, credible. And I do want to I mean, s- stick with that, yes? Yeah, 
Yeah, I, 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 it's certainly something that needs to be, uh, you know, uh, publicized. Because the that, evidence uh, is, do we believe a victim? Do we take a victim at their word? Right? So that's the evidence. They say they were abused, and they went into detail on the stand. Well, yeah, some of those details are not uh, accurate or credible. And, and let's talk about specifically, obviously, your focus at, at first was on the McQuarrie episode. You don't believe that Mike McQuarrie saw anything close to a criminal act, do you? No. What do, what do, you, believe, but, what do you believe Mike McQuarrie uh, witnessed? Uh, <laughs> you know, I have no idea. He has uh, three or four or five different stories as to what he saw or what he didn't see. Um, you know, it's... It, it plays to his credibility. I mean, I, there's, there's, uh, you know, if you if you really take a look at it, I mean, would you have a uh, Mike McQuarrie, a graduate assistant, former uh, six foot five, two hundred some pound uh, Division one quarterback? Um, he allegedly sees an older, wet, defenseless um, guy in the shower with a young boy, and he doesn't do anything. He doesn't intervene. Um, he, he doesn't call the authorities. If he's not going to intervene personally, he doesn't call the authorities. So let's, John, one of the things I like to do, as, as you well know, as we've gotten to know each other over the last several years, is, <laughs> is to think about if an allegation was true and real, what would the evidence be? And you, as an, a former NCIS agent, a decorated one at that, would be an expert in this realm. Tell us what kind of evidence there would be an abundance of if Jerry Sandusky had really committed all these crimes in the way that we are told and that there had been a massive cover-up by Penn State of his crimes. What kind of evidence would there be? Well, first of all, with the, with the victims, did any of the victims tell uh, other people um, contemporaneously with the assaults? Um, uh, is there any uh, corroborating evidence that it actually took place um, in, in regard to the, uh, which, you know, there is none, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, but, 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 um, but, John, re- but, but do you agree that if this was real, especially after all these years, all these investigations, all this scrutiny, all this media coverage, all this incentive for people to come forward and tell their stories and be heroes – there would be a tidal wave of evidence of all this, wouldn't there be? Oh, absolutely. And and in- absolutely. And instead, I mean, there would have been, uh, you know, as opposed to um, as opposed to prosecutors and uh, people that are uh, beholden to the prosecutors, uh, utilizing uh, Craigslist to acquire more victims. I mean, you, you, all you have to do is have to have a uh, hotline, and it would uh, blow up. Um, that didn't happen. John, let me ask you. I mean, Louis Free was the head of the FBI. You, you do have some disdain. You've used private, a private investigation, okay? Whether they don't, I don't understand. Maybe you could explain that better. But what I want to know is, why, what would Louis Free say to you? Well, you know, I don't think he's completely candid in anything that he does, quite frankly. So, I mean, first of all, when you say that he's, he's the head of the FBI, you know, he's a, he was a political appointee. 
which, uh, you know, doesn't mean to say he knows a whole lot of, uh, you know, the investigatory process. I mean, you know, he obviously had some people that worked for him that were uh, contracted by him to come up with whatever he wanted. But, uh, you know, if he was candid, he would say, hey, look, you know, we did it for uh, the money to satisfy my friend uh, Governor Corbett's uh, desire to uh, jam Spaniard up. But- and be the most important, uh, most popular person in Pennsylvania. And to do that... Corbett had to uh, get rid of Spanier and get rid of Paterno. Okay, right. But that's sort of the story you're telling, what he would say. But what I'm curious more about is he, he came forward with the report that he, there, he did that, that is taken as very credible, that the university was responsible for this. Well, how would he say you didn't do a good job? What would he be saying about what happened with your federal investigation? Where, where would he say you were wrong? Uh, nowhere. And he never Absolutely has? No he, he never has? No one ever has said, well, they were wrong. John Stedden and that, they got that wrong. No one ever has? No. And yet a federal... And there's abs- yeah? absolutely no reason to uh, even suggest that. Right, yeah. so no one has suggested anywhere. This is public record, uh, and, and or at least we can see it somewhere. And, and Graham Spanier gets his clearance again. And no one even has questioned anything you've said, and you've interviewed a lot of these people? Correct. And in fact, in fact, John, is, it, is, it, is my recollection accurate that to the extent that Graham Spanier getting his security clearance renewed became a news story, because it did become a bit of a news story, it actually got perceived, it was a minor news story, but it got perceived in some circles as a, a, an indication of an even larger cover-up. They're like the federal government. Yeah, I know. It, it, uh, that, you know, again, I have to tell you that, and, and people should understand this, you know, this is not a, uh, you know, it, it's not a investigation onto its own. When you get a, uh, when you have an exceptionally high-level um, clearance, it goes through a myriad of individuals to make sure that the information that you have is accurate, correct, and credible. It's not just me. I, I'm the. I obviously uh, was the agent that did the entire, uh, you know, footwork on the on all the investigations to put the investigation together. Um, but then that investigation is reviewed by independent entities of the federal government to determine whether or not. They're comfortable with all the information that you've gathered. If that information is credible, if that information is going to lead them um, to uh, specifically make a determination in regard to his uh, renewal. And, and now, John, you've gotten to know Graham Spanier exceedingly well, not just from your investigation, but because you have stayed in touch with him all these years later. Tell us who the real Graham Spanier is in, in your estimation? Well, I, I think that if you, uh, if you speak to uh, entities in the uh, intelligence community, in the law enforcement community, in the education community, uh, Dr. Spanier enjoys an uh, incredible reputation. And, uh, to this day? Absolutely. Absolutely. And defini- I mean, it's... Uh, yeah. You know, if, if, if you were to ask those people 
that were on those boards with him and uh, had an opportunity to interact with him and the uh, intelligence community and the law enforcement community, they're going to tell you this is a big, giant political hit job, and it's exactly what it is. And there's one big, giant bad guy, and that's Tom Corbett. Now, now, John, one of the things as an NCIS agent you're uh, um, trained to do is to perceive deception in people. And, and here you are, uh, you get, had exclusive interviews with some of the key people right at the center of this. And since then, you've had a lot of interaction with other key people, including, by the way, Jerry Sandusky's wife, Dottie Sandusky. So, um, so I, I guess um, uh, I'm going to ask you on a scale of one to ten, uh, ten being completely honest, no chance of deception, zero uh, being a, a total bald-faced liar. Uh, what's your perception of? Let's go through the list. What's your perception of Grand Spanier on the on the level of deception? One being the lowest again. Is that yeah, the t- ten being totally honest, uh, zero being bald-faced liar. Dr. Stanley, 10. Gary Schultz. 10. Tim Curley. 10. Dottie Sandusky. 10. <laughs> Any, anyone else that, that you think uh, is relevant to this particular conversation that you've had interactions with that is, that is telling the truth in a way that is contrary to the conventional wisdom of this story? mean like as in deceptive or attempting to be deceptive well no i mean or, or either direction like for instance all right let, let me ask you i mean this is a self-serving question but you, you know you and i have had a, a lot of interaction uh and uh some of it's been very difficult i know i'm difficult you would you would concur that i'm difficult to deal with correct on a scale of one to ten twenty john uh has a unique perspective on things and uh has a, a different ability to uh, communicate that, that d- but I would, I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it depends on uh, uh, if you've dealt with people that uh, are uh, focused or not before. Okay, but okay, let's do yeah. let's do this in scale one to ten. Ten being an incredible pain in the ass. Uh, where am I on that scale? No, eight point five. Okay, but but where am I? Where am where am I on the deception scale? Oh, jeez. One, yeah. In other, mean, in other, in other words, you 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 know if I say something, it's true, right, John? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, and and I I acknowledge that I have been a, a major pain in the ass, uh, but I think you would acknowledge that this cir- set of circumstances over the last several years has has provided some very difficult and trying times where um, we we have run we've had our head you know we basically jammed our heads into a brick wall on this because no one wants to believe the truth of this case correct well I, well I, you know I, I you know I don't know uh, how anybody politically leans or otherwise but you've got something going on right now that is very similar to that you know uh, there was a uh, uh, effort to take uh, a lot of people down turns out it's bullshit. Mm. And, this, and then the same thing applies to this case. Mm. Uh, if you can't see that, if you can't see that it, the entire Penn State goats grow was a uh, uh, political hit job, you're blind. It was. Be, it's because people believe the victims. People don't want to question victims, and this is an interesting question for you because you're an investigator. There's a real push to always believe. 
the word of a victim. You must believe the victim, the child victim, the rape, the woman who says she was raped, the child who says they were abused. And it's hard, it's even hard to think that you wouldn't believe them, that they could lie about such a thing. John, the, that's a very hard thing for people to handle. Like a child could lie about such a thing. It, how? How do you respond to that as an investigator? Is it okay well, to ask questions and investigate? Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've had um, alleged rape victims uh, that I've investigated um, that obviously you want to be empathetic and you want to understand what the circumstances are and get the factual information out there so you can go after the bad guy. And I've had... Uh, quite a few cases where the uh, alleged rape victim uh, made those allegations because her boyfriend found out or her parents found out. Um, you, you know, it's not, uh, you know, you, you really have to delve into that. That's why, in fact, you have a uh, significant, significant, substantive interview of uh a rape victim or a sexual assault victim determine what the facts are. I mean, I've had circumstances where they don't even have the right address, uh, you know, and they end up, or, or the, the correct location. Um, and then you end up for, uh, um, uh, charging them with uh, making a false statement. And I've had that happen repeatedly because they, they have another organization. And, and, be, and, to be, and, uh, and to be clear, John, and, in, in, this, in this particular case, there were special circumstances that prevented any of that kind of scrutiny from being provided to the victim's stories, correct? Well, when, you, uh, when you're going to um, utilize the uh, media to get your story out first, whether it's right or wrong or otherwise, um, you know, you've already started a fire store without even fa- checking the facts yet. But once you but once you're a victim and Liz you know this in the news news media once you're deemed to be a victim a blessed victim you're not allowed to be questioned anymore and 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 because of the way this case evolved with the explosion in just a couple of days and Joe Paterno getting fired and Graham Spanner getting fired and Curly and Schultz being indicted those victims were sanctified. There was there was literally a ten thousand person candlelight vigil instead of a pep rally at Penn State, even though we didn't even know who the who the victims were. So once once they get to tell their stories, they're already uh, they're already protected with a with a nuclear powered halo over their head, and so there, there's no scrutiny. And then, therefore, none of the things that you have pointed out, John, about discrepancies as far as their stories and, and things that are nonsensical and wrong places and times and changing dates, they don't matter. And, uh, and, and that's a, that, to me, is a large part of the perfect storm in this particular case. John, if there, is there anything else that you think we ought to know, that, that the listeners ought to know about how this case really went down in, in comparison to the way it's perceived well, I, I, again, I, I certainly think that, uh, you know, they had a game plan um, well, to meet their political ambitions. You're talking about Tom um, Corbett. And, so, so, do you believe, John, that, that, that Corbett knew this was all baloney? Or, see, yes. I, see, yes. see, this is where you and I differ. I, I don't believe that he knew it was all baloney. I believe that he rationalized that it was true because he wanted it to be true. Why do you believe he knew it was all baloney? Because the people that were beholden to him took actions that were outside the scope of uh, criminal investigation to further his interests. Okay, but 
but I, that see to me, John, don't you think it's possible that people do that if they think to use Liz's phrase that they're trying to protect victims, therefore they think that it's justified? Don't you think that sometimes people in power, if they think they're doing the right thing, that they will cut corners or do things that are unethical because they their ends the ends justify the means? Don't you think that's possible? No. Okay, because why? Because it's it's clear. You have to look, if you look at this case. It's clear what they did. And and is there something you can point to in particular that 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 justifies that view? Well, everything from the use of the media to the timing, mm. to the delays, to the acquisition of uh, alleged victims, to the failure to investigate thoroughly to determine the uh, credibility of those victims. Mm-hmm. Come on. I mean, you know, um, it, 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 there's no uh, there's no secret that, would, that uh, you know, Corbin wanted to be the most popular person in Pennsylvania. That's un- those are unbelievable, unbelievable allegations. I mean, it, well... I mean, you know, it doesn't end there. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, if, if in fact that's true, if Corbett is such a, you know, ethical individual, okay? I mean, I, I have had uh, professional investigative contact with uh, Corbett before, okay? And I won't get into that, but I will tell you that, uh, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the... Uh, um, Ethics are out the window. Last thing, John. And, I'm sorry. Go ahead. And I would, I would just say that uh, you know, if you look at the whole picture of the thing, um, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that it was a politically motivated hit job on uh, Spanier and uh, Paterno. All right. Well, you and I will will differ slightly on on the motivations, but not in the result. And so, I, I got to ask you as a last question, John. Do you see any path or any hope for this uh, this remarkable, uh, almost unprecedented miscarriage of justice that you're alleging, and, and which I agree with, all these years later? Do you see any any path for any of this being fixed? Absolutely. Who does it? How does that happen? Well, just as an example, you have a uh, U.S. attorney. Um, who evaluates the uh, circumstances surrounding this. I mean, just as an aside, you've got prosecutors in this case that were found to um, manipulate the system in a manner to, you know, uh, reach their political goals, okay? So um, those prosecutors should be criminally prosecuted. But, but John, is there any evidence that anything like that could ever happen? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you've got, if you get to the, let me, just to recap, the, just as an example with Dr. Spanier's misdemeanor, it was upheld by various levels of the Pennsylvania judiciary, okay, which it should not have been. I mean, any, uh, any justice in his uh, right mind or whole right mind um, would not uphold something like that which is indicative of the fact that they were beholden to somebody okay, no, to uphold but, 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 John, we, we agree, or I agree with you on, on what happened, but I don't see the path for it getting fixed. There's no U.S. attorney that's gonna, it, suddenly going to take this on. When, 
when it gets to the uh, federal level, when they realize what has uh, taken place, just as an example of uh, uh, Brady violations and a variety of other uh, prosecutorial misconduct, okay, so, one of the muck. So you have so case. you so you have confidence that that Jerry Sandusky's appeal, which is now in federal court as opposed to state Pennsylvania court, which is two totally different worlds in this case, because the entire state of Pennsylvania is invested deeply in this narrative and wants to protect. Uh, I mean, I mean, they 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 literally cannot allow anything to disrupt the the current narrative. Otherwise, they're all going to look like jackasses. You believe that the federal uh, court system will suddenly realize the magnitude of this injustice and try to fix it? You really believe that? I have greater faith in the federal government than I do with uh, in the federal court system than I do in a Pennsylvania court system. Are you kidding me? Of course, but that Absolutely. doesn't. But, but I mean, that doesn't. I did the right thing in the uh, Graham Spanier case. Okay. You know, uh, Josh Shapiro, Josh Shapiro, uh, who wants to fight that? Um, you know, what did he completely? You know, he must have got an F in constitutional law at law school. You're, I mean, what, what the hell is that? You're, you're referring to and the attorney. You you're, you're referring to the, something. You're referring to the, the attorney general of Pennsylvania, Shapiro. Um, yeah. All right. Well, look, John. I hope you're right. I, I've become very cynical because of all of this. And I'd I, like to see it reopened. Uh, I'd like to. See, I just don't understand what the attorneys even. Just the whole thing from bottom to top. I'd like to see somebody really, some something, at least get another. I mean, you, you have. You have uh, the bottom line is here. You have uh, alleged vic- alleged victims that have no corroborating evidence. Um, they, they didn't tell anybody contemporaneously with this circumstance. Um, you've got prosecutorial misconduct uh, left and right, up and down, all over the place. They've been uh, um, uh, faced with a disciplinary action when they should be criminally charged. I mean, the whole, that entire attorney general's office should be the subject of a independent federal investigation as to what they've done. As a matter of fact, I will say this. Any investigation that has been uh, investigated by the entities that did this uh, Sandusky Spaniel case, all of those cases are tainted. They need to be reopened. I have no idea why um, attorneys that have uh, had, have had defendants um, investigated by the uh, Attorney General's office aren't storming Strawberry Square and saying, hey, what the hell exactly did you guys do? Because there's no indication that you have any ethics. I mean, justice did not prevail in this circumstance, and it will at the federal court level, just like it did with Graham Spanier. I mean, you know, they realize what's going on here. I mean, the attorney general's realized, attorney general realized that that grand jury presentment was bullshit. Well, I hope you're right, John. Um, of course, all this changes if uh, Jerry Sandusky dies at any point, because uh, then there's no there's no longer a federal case uh, that would cause all this uh, change. And I, I agree with you that if the right people on the federal level look at this, that it, it could dramatically change. I, uh, ironically enough, I actually think that Jerry Sandusky's best appeal issue one that his lawyers unfortunately don't seem to fully understand deals with with your guy Tom Cor- Tom Corbett. I I actually believe that Tom Corbett acting as the governor of the state as part of the board of trustees leading the charge to fire uh, and indict uh, two of Jerry Sandusky's best witnesses, Tim Curley and Gary Schultz, that is a deadlock federal appeal. That is that is you you the the, the governor of the state made it absolutely impossible for Jerry Sandusky to get a fair trial. 
Uh, well, no uh, kidding. That's that that is that speaks to my previous point that uh, they all in uh, uh, concert um, manipulated the system. Were they removing witnesses? I mean, come on. I mean, you know, this is uh, it's all it was all manipulated. Right. And, and just to be clear on to, that, just to be clear on that, when you say removing witnesses, you believe that if Tim Curley and Gary Schultz had not been indicted, not been fired, still had their credibility intact, and they had testified at Jerry Sandusky's trial, that the perception of the entire McQuarrie episode would have been 180 degrees different. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. John, it's a uh, it's an appalling uh, action of. Uh, uh, you know, political manipulation, you know, and why aren't they, uh, if he's such a great guy, how comes they don't uh, throw him a parade every Saturday for being, uh, for taking down a big pedophile? That's my question. Why is he hiding at some uh, law, uh, law office in Maryland? And those people that are, uh, you know, what do you think the clients want from, from that law office after they see what he was able to pull off, uh, you know, with, uh, in his position before? Well, you, you, to, your, to your point, John, none of the people involved in this prosecution have turned out very well. I mean, yeah, no shit. Uh, I mean, you know, it's a good point no you're shit. making right and now. And he should be prosecuted criminally. I'm telling you now. I mean, let, all let, those prosecutors should be prosecuted criminally. I mean, let's let's be clear. Corbett loses re-election. Uh, Frank Fina has lost his law, law license. He was the lead uh, uh, prosecutor in the Sandusky case. Janelle Esbach, the original prosecutor, she lost a, uh, a race for judgeship uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Joe McGettigan, another prosecutor, is out of the business. Um, and and um, so, so you really, the, we've got numerous judges have been, the, the grand jury judge lost his position because of his role in this case. Uh, um, there, there's been all sorts of misconduct. Uh, by all sorts of people that the media just doesn't want to put all together. And that's what we're trying to do on this podcast. And, and John, we thank you for, for trying to help us uh, put this uh, incredibly complex puzzle together. And we appreciate uh, your time and what you've done. Liz, anything else you want to ask? John? No, John, thank you for that um, explanation and for your role in all of this. I think it's made some things very clear. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm glad to see you guys are uh, pursuing this uh, to the nth degree because, uh, you know, this kind of thing, the political uh, manipulation of the criminal justice system, it can happen to anybody. Anybody listening to this, you can be the victim of this if you don't uh, if you don't see it coming. And uh, you know, uh, John's laid it out very well with uh, exactly what has happened. Um, there's there's tons of uh, uh, information that would be indicative of the fact that uh, this didn't happen. So, John, it's hard for me to believe there's an investigator out there that does all that work and none of that went to anywhere in court. It wasn't brought to light. It wasn't like this investigator should have been part of this whole process. 